Previously on At the Movies with Arch Campbell and Lou Katz. The script for the original Shaft was written it's the same year, the same writer, Ernest Tidyman, as uh, as The French Connection. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> welcome to At the Movies mm, with yes. Arch Campbell uh-huh. and Lou Katz. <laughs> oh, I forgot to mention <laughs> yeah. a cast of thousands. Oh, really? <laughs> somewhere. <laughs> yes. They're hiding somewhere. Mm. I, I'm Lou Katz, Washington, D.C. radio legend. Where did you get that? Where'd you come That's up with that? That's what I think of you. <laughs> You're a Washington, D.C. radio oh, legend. You are. In, in my own mind, maybe. No, no. And, of course, my favorite guy, Arch Campbell. <laughs> I'm the other guy on this show. How long were you in radio in Washington, 47 DC? years. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Wow. So. Well, that makes you a legend. <laughs> so, so. No, it makes me old, Arch. <laughs> hey, I've, I've been wanting to tell you, Lou, that because of you, uh, my wife and I, Gina and I, finally started watching Big Little Lies. Oh, you did? And now, now we're, we've gone through six of the seven episodes for season one, and we're hooked. Now, <laughs> I thought it started slow. Yeah. And uh, Gina, you know, kind of didn't get into it, and suddenly about the third episode, oh, yeah. she's sitting there wide-eyed, mouth open. Uh, I think it's terrific. And, so, and I can't wait to see... Uh, how far are they into season two? Oh, I think three episodes, maybe. Three, and are they doing seven again? I think they're... And, and then, of course, the word is, this is going to be it, which is what they said yeah. after the first season. Right. Well, I, I, I think all the actresses are fantastic. Nicole Kidman. Well, she won an and, Emmy. And, yeah. For, and, you know, and I now I know why. Yeah. That that scene uh, with her therapist is just is yeah. thrilling. It's quite a show. And as I talk to you, we have not watched the conclusion, the final episode. So we've watched the first six. My lips are sealed. My lips are sealed. I can't I, tell you. I can't I tell you it all. I have a theory, about it. and yeah. she has a theory, yeah, well, but I won't tell you the theory. Yeah, so exactly. I'm just saying. Uh, that's that's really worthwhile watching. I'm and thrilled you guys it. are getting into it. Today, we're going to talk about uh, the best movies of the first six months of the year. And one of mine is in German and three hours long. And I can't believe it, but of all the movies I've seen, it was one of the great ones. And so that's a little hint. I got an email the other day from Joey Sorensen, who <laughs> lives in Austin. We actually got an email... On this show, Joey. <laughs> and Joey knows that I uh, graduated from UT Austin many years ago, and he also knows that I love a restaurant in Austin called the Hofbrau on West 6th Street. And when I was going to school there, you would call the Hofbrau, and you wouldn't reserve a table, you would reserve a T bone steak. I want two medium <laughs> T bones at 7 o'clock because they only cooked. A certain amount of steaks. And then they would serve these steaks with a big stack of white bread. <laughs> and and I just love the place. Anyway, Joey remembers the podcast I did with Ann Hornaday that led to this one at the movies with Arch and Ann. Mm-hmm. And last year in June, we inaugurated what we called the Half Seas, which is a list of the 10 best movies we have seen so far this year. And I'm very honored to say, in honor of the 10 best movies, and in honor of the email from the guy who remembers what we used to do, we now have 
by telephone, my dear friend, the senior film critic of the Washington Post, Anne Hornaday. And it's so good to talk movies with you again. Well, thank you. It's great to talk movies with you guys. I miss you. I miss you too, my my dear. We still hear from people who remember the At the Movies with Arch and Anne podcast. And that's, you know, that's... That's nice. I'm I'm glad people remember us fondly. I am too. I got in touch with a guy I had known 40 years ago to ask him a question. And he called me back. He says, yes, Arch, I remember you. I remember you favorably. Oh, that's wonderful. <laughs> so, so one of the things I love about you, Anne, is that you write about trends in movies. And if you don't mind, I want to start by your take on where are we and what is the future of movies in movie theaters? Honestly, like if you had asked me this a few months ago, I I would have been bullish, you know, because I think that we had a pretty good year last year and not just with the blockbusters, but we had things like RBG and Mr. Rogers and those documentaries did so well in theaters, which, you know, I mean, I, the big catchphrase now is what gets people out of their couches off their couches and into theaters and it's it's really not just the big spectacles or even the horror movies which are pretty reliable but if you just hit that bullet with the bullet you can get people out to see those smaller movies but then this year i don't know we're gonna i know we're gonna talk about the year so far but it feels a lot softer you know it feels like there's a less for people to rush out and see this right now. Last year, we did the Havsies, a, a list mm-hmm. of the 10 best movies from January to the end of June. Mm-hmm. And um, the format is, you start at number 10. You tell me your number 10. I'll tell you my number 10. And we'll work our way to the top. I'm going to put Late Night for number 10. Oh, <laughs> that's my number 10. She's reading off your script. Right? That's Really? Uh, for those at home, I want you to know, I'm calling from a remote location. I see amazing Creskin. I'm sitting here with my turban on, and I and I don't. That's crazy. This is why I like to talk to you, because we're so often on the same page. Well, t- tell me why you love Late Night. Emma Thompson, and Emma Thompson, and oh, Emma Thompson. I mean, she is so incandescent in this movie. I just loved watching her. And, you know, Arch... I think you understand what I mean when I say, and Jason both, when we're sitting in these screenings, and especially for a comedy, if I'm chuckling all the way through, you know, it's, it's like the balloon just sort of stays in the air, you know, and that, that was me during this movie. It was just a steady state of kind of fun, funny, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. It didn't redefine cinema as we know it, but I really enjoyed it. The performance by Emma is so biting, it's uh and and this is one of the ones that I go to when people say what should I go see. Now, on my number 10, I did a double. So I think this is going to pull into that. Uh I put late night and then I just added yesterday. Mm-hmm. Uh as kind of a double. Because both the, yesterday is the one with Hamish Patel and Lily James, and and he's the only one in the entire world who remembers the Beatles songs and uh, starts to take credit for their work, and in the meantime is overlooking the uh, obvious romance with Lily James. So it's sci-fi, it's comedy, it's romance, 
and uh, both Late Night and Yesterday, these are the kind of movies that we don't get a lot of anymore and should be supported. I agree with you. I, I felt like, speaking of that balloon in the air, mm-hmm. I felt like with yesterday, the balloon didn't, that first hour, the balloon is in the air the entire time. I was just with it, with it, with it. And then it just kind of, I felt like it got painted into a corner and they didn't know how to get out. Let's go to, not, what's your nine? For number nine, I'm going to say uh, Book Smart. Yes. <laughs> Which plays right into, and I put Book Smart up at number two. Wow. <laughs> Actually. Because it was such a smashing debut, it uh, emphasizes the talent of uh, these wonderful young actresses, especially Beanie Feldstein. Yeah. And it's that kind of movie again that needs to be supported. I agree. And and it didn't get it to do at the box office. I don't know if it's because it's centered around a couple of, you know, two teenage girls on a tear, you know, like that maybe boys didn't think they'd enjoy it as much. But it's in that raunch com Judd Apatow tradition. And it's just fun and silly. And, yeah, I agree. Olivia Wilde did a, a really good job directing it, I thought, especially toward the end. You know, I, I, I could kind of feel her getting her confidence. And um, I thought it was a lot of fun. Okay, for number nine, I went to Netflix. Are you going to kill me for this? I've got a couple of those. Not at all. No, I've got a couple. Well, I put The Highwayman on, which should not su- oh. should not surprise you. D- uh, John Lee Hancock directed uh, Costner and Harrelson as the Texas Rangers who uh, ultimately uh, capture and kill Bonnie and Clyde. Yeah, I haven't caught There are a few, and I should have had a caveat. There were a few movies that I still haven't seen, and that's one of them that I've heard really, really good things about. Okay, well, what's your eight? I'm going to put nonfiction. Did you see nonfiction? No. The Juliette Binoche? No. This is just that classic French movie about a bunch of intellectuals. You know, they're all in the book publishing world. She plays an actress. It's all about kind of our current anxiety around, for the movie's purposes, it's about the anxieties around the disappearance of the book. It's about the disappearance mm. of mm. of human to human contact. It's all about social media and what we're becoming as people. And And I mean, you know, I loved it. I just thought, you know, that hits all of my pleasure centers. That's my Avengers Endgame. Uh, my number eight is Rocket Man. Okay. Which you may not agree with, but I loved the uh, production. Uh, and I thought Taron Edgerton was a terrific performer. And it is a jukebox musical, yes. Yeah. But it it is done in a way that surpasses the stage. And my take on Rocket Man is... If Busby Berkeley were with us today, he would have made Rocket Man because mm-hmm. the production of the music numbers was so good. And and again, the music. Mm-hmm. So that's eight for me. What's seven for you? I, I'll do my Netflix here. I'll put Rolling Thunder Review in seven. Really? The Bob Dylan doc, yeah. Really? Now, it, I know it's available and I have not seen it yet. It's amazing, and it's it's a chronicle of the famous Rolling Thunder uh, tour that he did in the in the 1970s, and directed by Martin Scorsese. I will give it a ding. There's a controversial choice he makes, which is to include a bunch of uh, uh, like four fictional quote unquote talking head interviews with one of whom is Sharon Stone, one of whom is you know Michael Murphy playing his Tanner 88 character, if you remember that old HBO series, really funny political series. 
And I just felt like, and they kind of seamlessly cut them into the 70s material, make, pretending that they were there. And I just, you know, and, and that's all in keeping with Dylan and his self-mythologizing. And he's a trickster. And we never know, you know, we never know if he's telling the And it's like, okay, I get it. But I just did not, I didn't think the movie needed that conceit. And I think it's distracting. And the actual footage of the tour and the present day interviews with Dylan himself and Ronnie Blakely and Roger McGuinn is just fabulous i mean again it gets back to this yesterday in rocket man it's the songs right it's like uh-huh. just to be in the presence of those songs and dylan's showmanship his sense of staging and theatricality it's really magnificent my number seven is toy story four uh-huh. just because of uh tony hale as the new character forky and just because tom hanks does the heavy lifting and I hope this is the last one, but uh, yeah. Pixar, uh, the animation is just hard to resist, oh. and it's it's better than ever. What's your seven? I agree, and that'll be, I'm going to put that at number six. I agree with you, and I was so jaded going in, going like, okay, come on, number four, are you kidding me? And then, like you said, Tony Hale, that character Forky. is fabulous, and the visuals blew me away. I was just so taken with the what they did with the you know there are two main locations one is the carnival midway and one is an antique shop and Mm -hmm. both of them are rendered with such detail and beauty and light you know the way that they do the neon lights of the midway and the glinting dust emote filled light of the antique shop i just thought the visuals were stunning in this one i didn't think they could advance computer animation but they obviously they evidently did I don't remember being as blown away by the visuals in the other movies as I was in this one. It was just, it was gorgeous. Just gorgeous. You know, fun to watch. Okay, six. What's six for you? I'm going to put that as my six. Okay, well, my six is Gloria Bell. Oh! With Julianne Moore. Yeah! She's a modern-day Mary Tyler Moore, and she's not going to take any guff from the very difficult... John Turturro, and there's just something effervescent yeah. about the whole of uh, thing. I went to see it as a result of your review. I had missed the uh, screening, and I just I I know it's a remake of a film, and I saw the original film, and I I just the performance, and the, the, again that lighter than air, the balloons in the air. Mm-hmm. I never looked at my watch. And that's what a lot of these uh, titles are. It's funny, because I guess I really enjoyed that original one. This one I didn't quite enjoy as much. And I feel like the director who directed the original, too, I don't know, it, it, he kind of doubles down on the drabness of L.A. and the drabness of her home. I, I guess visually, unlike the Toy Story 4, I wasn't as captivated. Um, but, but these are two absolutely exquisite performances from her and from Turturro. He was great. Yeah. It's a really finely calibrated thing, both of them. I I was very impressed with the acting. So what's your number five? I think for number five, all right, you and I were both big fans of They Shall Not Grow Old, right? Uh Mm Uh-huh. Well, there is a movie that I think is like They Shall Not Grow Old for World War II, and it's called The Cold Blue. Really? Where is it? Well, it's on HBO, and now it's on HBO. I think if you have HBO on demand, you can get it through that. It, uh-huh. it played for one day only 
on June 6th, appropriately enough. And this is the collaboration with the filmmaker Eric Nelson and Catherine Weiler, William Weiler's right, daughter, yes. who's our friend and neighbor here in D.C. And they, Eric went to the archives, found William Weiler's footage from the Memphis Bell, uh, which he made about, uh, was it a B-17 bomber, I think? I, I need my cheat sheet. Uh, about the crew on a bomber in World War II. And did Catherine Wilder remake that as a, as a feature back in the early 90s, Memphis Bell? Yes, it was a, it was a fiction. Yes, it, was, it has become a dramatic feature called the Memphis Bell. But in this one, Eric went in, restored this footage, and kind of fleshes it out with interviews from veterans. None of the guys on the original Memphis Bell are still alive, but right. he did find other pilots. And just sort of describing their experiences with them. So you're hearing their testimony and playing over the most exquisite color images of these planes, of these missions, uh, the devastation in Germany after the war, uh, their welcome home. Uh, it is really moving. So I, I strongly recommend The Cold Blue. Well, for number five, I, put, I went back to Netflix, and I'll be interested if you've seen this. I'm I'm uh, putting the perfection. Oh, that was a cray cray. Alice wow. Williams and Logan Browning as cello prodigies. I loved the storytelling and the fact that they took you down one road and then they just slightly tilted the axis and told it to you another way. Uh, I I thought it was uh, Me Too meets Get Out. Well said. Yeah, and it's almost like, I remember last year, you were a big fan of Thoroughbreds. Yes, yes. Kind of has that same vibe. Yeah, and they are both fantastic. That I didn't know Jordan Browning, and she blew me away. What a presence. And Allison Williams, my God. Yeah, really, I mean, this isn't my favorite genre. But no, no. for that kind of a genre exercise, it was ex- really, really well done. So we're up to four. Okay. So for number four, I think I'm going to put Last Black Man in San Francisco. Uh, <laughs> that's my three. Oh, that's your three. We're right there, neck and neck. Oh. What a special movie. What a special movie. And I hope it finds the audience it deserves. Well, I happened to be at E Street this past weekend for AFI Doc. Mm-hmm. And whenever I'm there, I ask the ticket guy, what's good? You know, what, what what's doing well for you? And he said Last Black Man in San Francisco was by far their most successful movie last weekend. So that bodes well. I do hope it can hang out there. This is a really different movie, as you know. I mean, it's a kind of collaboration between the actor, Jimmy Fail, mm-hmm. um, and the director, Joe Talbot. They're lifelong. It, it's very similar to Blind Spotting in terms of its genesis. It's like these two old friends from the Bay Area, in this case, it's San Francisco, not Oakland, who, are, who wanted to collaborate on a memory piece, you know, about Jimmy's family. And the house he grew up in, this gorgeous Victorian house. And like blind spotting, it has a lot to do with gentrification and wealth inequality and being squeezed out and finding your identity, finding your place. It's odd. It's an odd movie. It's not a conventional movie by any stretch. It's not particularly narrative, 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 three, you know, tight, 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 three-act structure. But boy, if you let it take you, it'll take you someplace beautiful. It really will. That's Four for you. Four for me is Us by George. I want to support what he's doing. I think he knows how to tell a story. He knows how to cast a movie. 
Uh, he knows how to, you know, he's he's our answer to Hitchcock, and I support him. Or Sterling, for that matter. I mean, he's such a great social commentator. Right. I thought, the, you know, that one, I, I was not as much of a fan, to be honest with you, but that might just be because I'm not a fan of the genre so much, you know? Well, and it's the sophomore move, you know, which... Yeah, sure. It, it, but but God, Lupita Nyong'o, what a what a performance! I mean, oh God, it's just uh, she was just masterful. So now you caught my third and my second, the last black man in San Francisco, and Booksmart. So what are you? What's your three and two? All right, my three and two are going to be All Is True, the Kenneth Branagh Shakespeare movie. Right. Yes. Which I thought was charming. I just was with it all the way. And two is Woman at War. Did you check out Woman at War, the Icelandic film? No. I know you love that. That's a really special movie. Yeah, it's really cool. Where can we find it? Well, right now I'm not exactly sure if it's available on streaming yet. Um, And I don't think, I'm pretty sure it's already out of theaters. But again, it's from Iceland. It's about a woman who is sort of doing vigilante work. Um, environmental vigilante work against a uh, national utility. But again, it takes a bit of a twist, and she's got more going on in her life than you think. And this story just does not go... The the lead actress is named Haldora Mm -hmm. Gerhard's daughter, Mm -hmm. and she is the most... She's like a combination of, you know, Gal Gadot and Tilda Swinton. I mean, she's just this tall, athletic, gorgeous, middle-aged woman doing really physical things and all the while kind of trying to pursue uh, pursue something in her private life that means a lot to her. And the way it's directed, it's directed with a lot of whimsy. There's on-screen musicians that show up out of nowhere for these little scenes that are really dear. And I don't know, I just, again, it was just very original, and uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Now, I want you to have the final number one, so I'm going to jump in here with my number one of the last six months and this may shock you. It's going to shock me. The movie I have enjoyed the most in hold, the last... Ho- hold on, everybody. We need an official <laughs> drum roll here in the <laughs> studio. Honestly, I am really, truly, like, I am a little bit... Ting- I'm, I'm getting a little... Okay. The movie I enjoyed the most is called Never Look Away. Boom! It is three hours long in German. The story of an artist... I read your review, and I thought three hours in German. Artist, that's three strikes against it. And when I finally saw it, I couldn't take my eyes off the screen. I could not move. It is an epic of a creative life forged before, during, and after World War II. And directed by uh, Von Dundersmark, who uh, directed The Lives of Others, which is also among my favorites of all time. And I thank you for your review, because I probably wouldn't have seen it otherwise. You know, it's funny, because I've received quite a few emails from from people, from viewers, saying the same thing. Like, they caught it because of my review, and they are so glad they did. And it's that kind of movie that when you're out at social events, People still bring it up. Right. But I have a little mini list, which is Never Look Away, Stan and Ollie, Cold War. Those are all movies that we in D.C. got in 2019 that I love. I started to put Stan and Ollie on my list. Yeah, but those are all really worth catching up with, and I'm really glad you mentioned it. All right, Anne, how about your number one now? My number one is Amazing Grace. Of course. 
Of course. The Aretha Franklin, yeah. The found footage. I mean, because that was the one, that was the one I was sending, like we were saying earlier, like, what can you send people to that's going to make them feel great? And it's like, you can't go wrong with Aretha. And uh, it was the film, the long lost film material of her recording that album. Um, at a church in L.A., and I can't remember now the year, 73, 74. Right, early 70s. Yeah, the early 70s that Sidney Pollack was going to, to do, and then he... Um, they couldn't sync up. They didn't sync up the sound correctly, so... Yeah, I'm so surprised at him. He's such a professional. Didn't, didn't he have a, a clapstick? Well, that, it was because he was a professional, because he was so used to syncing his sound later that he took it for... Like, he didn't realize that in documentary, you got to get it on the day. Like, you got to get it in the on the moment. So in a funny way, it's because he was such a Hollywood guy. He just didn't know that they needed to, to, to do that. And I will always cherish the couple of years that I got to talk to you uh, every week. I know, Archie. I so appreciate uh, the chance to uh, still keep up with you. So do I, my friend. I really do. And thank you, thank you, thank you. So, Lou, that was Ann Hornaday, and I love talking movies with her, and I'm always uh, honored when she calls us up. And thank you, Joy Sorensen, for reminding us of the half seas and we'll try to keep that going now speaking of email uh what is our email lou oh lou what is the I'm, email I'm sorry, address Arch, i'm busy checking all the emails we haven't gotten <laughs> you can reach us arch a-r-c-h course at houndradio.com Hound. Houndradio.com. Uh, and, and tell me about Hound Radio. Hound tell Radio. I'm telling you. Well, we're in, we're in uh, beginning year two of Hound Radio, and we're in our uh, puppy stages still. We have a dedicated, small dedicated audience that listens a lot. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I can count yeah, them on one hand, yeah. you know, but hey. Hey, we <laughs> like that. But, but they love us. And, you know, I have to tell you, I didn't tell you this. Uh, I went to a networking event uh, yesterday. Mm-hmm. at uh, a bagel place up in Gaithersburg where apparently business people of all kinds meet every week just to sort right. of schmooze and yeah. to network. And I was giving out business cards and people were expressing interest and it was great to do the networking thing and that's how we're going to grow Hound Radio. We got some other emails and I will mention them oh, really? later on. You're listening to At The Movies with Arch Campbell and Lou Katz and a cast of thousands. It's time for a shout-out, and I want to give a shout-out to the Washington Post because this weekend they uh, ran the story, Locals Mourn the End of Stalwart Mix 107.3 and Jack Diamond's Show, and they finally acknowledged (laughs) that it's a big deal that this big uh, one-time number uh, top 10, top 5, top 3 rock and roll station has vanished. And that article is changing uh, right in front of our eyes. And they quote um, Steve Allen. We Mm -hmm. both know Steve. Not that Steve Allen. (laughs) Steve Allen, the radio guy. Right. Uh, who says, for over three decades, uh, Mix 107.3 was a legendary set of call letters, and its demise marks the end of an era. And then they talk to a uh, consultant who says, uh, Jack Diamond's kind of show, locally focused with uh, several different people, is on its way out. Many radio stations are converting to national formats. 
and uh, programs like K-Love, which is a Christian music station right. that has taken over, are broadcast from a single site to scores of towns across America. And it's profitable. It saves money. You can produce it once and distribute it many times. And that this, it, I don't know. I'm interested that radio is changing. Yeah, and to say the least. How did you get into radio? Anyway, yeah. we both have radio backgrounds. Yes, absolutely. I got into radio because um, and when I was in high school at Kennedy High School in Silver Spring, mm-hmm. I was sitting in homeroom one morning and the two guys, Fast Eddie and I forgot the other guy's name, <laughs> were doing the morning announcements. They were doing like uh, a little morning show. On, 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 on the, the high school? On the high school uh-huh. intercom. You know, you, you know, going to, you, you right. go into homeroom and you start your morning. And then I, at the, I guess it was towards the end of the school year. And they said, by the way, we're graduating in a week. Anybody who wants to take over the morning announcements, the first one that gets down here gets the gig. No kidding. I jump out of my chair, <laughs> stumble across some, some students, and I, I haul my butt down to, the, uh, down to the main office, and I got the gig. Wow. And that's sort of how it started. And, and what was your first radio station, real on the air station? <clears throat> my first radio station was WGTS in Tacoma Park, huh? which is a, a very, very popular uh, contemporary Christian station. Back when I was on it, it was uh, block programming. It was classical music and, and gospel and different things. But that was back in 1971. So My story, and I'll tell it as fast as I can, <laughs> is I grew up and I wanted to be a piano player. Because every night, about 1 a.m., my father would stay up until television signed off, and then he would play piano, and I could hear it in my sleep, and I thought, I want to do that. Really? So uh, I didn't get piano lessons until I was 14, and at the end of the year, and I was diligent on my studies, the uh, piano piano teacher said, uh, we're going to have a uh, recital, and you will play this piece in the recital. I thought, oh, great. We go to the recital. Well, I'm 14 years old, and it's me and a bunch of first graders, and I was just (laughs) embarrassed as hell. So I quit piano, and the next year in high school, I joined the yearbook staff on the photography team. Cool. I wanted to be a photographer. And so one uh, afternoon, uh, me and another guy started roaming the campus looking for shots. Well, the assistant principal saw us and said, where's your pass, boys? And we didn't have a hall book. So I got kicked off the yearbook. So as a senior, (laughs) I took a speech class, and me and another guy tried out for the talent show, and the uh, drama teacher who was in charge of the talent show came to us and said, Kids, you stink. (laughs) You're not going to be in my talent show. But then she turned to me. She said, You, Campbell, I need an MC." You're going to MC the show. And so I went on stage and MC'd that thing in front of all my high school students. And that teacher left to go to a junior college and teach radio and television. Huh. And I followed her and I became her teaching assistant. And I was the program director of the little college radio station. Right. And I started going around to other stations asking for albums. And one of them hired me for the weekend. And I, I went to work for Kitty FM, 92.9, 100,000 watts. Wow. And it had it had a big audience. And this is in San Antonio? San Antonio, Texas. Uh, later, I left to go to the University of Texas, and I worked at KTBC in Austin, owned by LBJ. 
And from there, uh, someone left, and I, I went to work for a clear channel 50,000-watt station, WFAA, in Dallas. And there, one of the things I remember about there is, you know, radio stations in the 70s, a lot of them were owned by television stations, mm-hmm. and the TV stations were making so much money, they didn't really care what went on with radio. And they... In the 30s, they had had an early morning radio show, The Early Birds, and they kept a lot of the people from that staff. So I would go around and visit with these old guys who were 30 and 40 years older than me. Sure. One of them was a guy named uh, Norvell Slater, who was the public affairs director of the radio station. You know, they they ca- uh, another guy was the music librarian. He was a staff singer at WFAA. And uh, Norvell like Slater opened up. He, Here, young man. And he opens up. He gives me his 1941 WFAA radio yearbook. Oh, jeez. And then he had a stack of 8x10 glossies that, uh, that had been auto-autographed. And uh, there he is in a, in a double-breasted suit and a tie with a microphone in front of his face. <laughs> and uh, on each uh, picture, it says, Your friend, Norvell Slater, <laughs> WFAA Dallas. <laughs> God, it was a big and, station then. Uh, and it's just, and it doesn't exist now. No. It was uh, taken over by WBAP. The other thing... I would get in my car at night in San Antonio and in Austin and just drive north on I-35, and you could pick up these big stations. Oh, all over the country. Uh, KOA in Denver and WWL in New Orleans. And WLS Chicago. And, uh, and that was the granddaddy of them all, WLS in Chicago. And and it, it boomed in there just like... Yeah. And before I went to WFAA, I would listen to a guy who had a nighttime show, Ralph Robinson's Night Flight. Hmm. Was uh, he the all-night guy? No, it was uh, 7 to midnight. It's 7 o'clock in Dallas. This is Ralph Robinson with Night Flight. <laughs> We're flight 820, <laughs> Dallas. And then he would play Tony Bennett, the song of the jet. And, you know, these were live guys mostly sure. playing music in little studios and i just i loved that you know just listening to you tell that story about night flight reminds me <clears throat> when i was a kid and growing up here in washington a wtop before it went to all news in 1969 mm-hmm. was a middle of the road you know music station uh-huh. and they had a feature called american airlines music till dawn yes music till dawn and and everything was live and they just had music and who was the? I cannot uh, remember for the life of me who the, who the host of that. Well, of I could listen was. to music till dawn on WBBM in Chicago, and it was Jay Andres, hmm. and and then uh, they also had it on KRLD in Dallas, which was also a huge, uh, powerful station, and that was Tony Garrett. Radio has certainly certainly so, changed to say know, the least. Everything changes. Yeah. 
and we do have Sirius now, and we have podcasting. Ah, yes. Where did the dinosaurs go to die? <laughs> on a podcast. <laughs> a podcast. <laughs> on this one. <laughs> Let me go chew on a bone. <laughs> hey, before we wrap up, I want to mention that we were happy to um, hear from a lot of people. Uh, we heard from Mark Weinberg, who um, uh, lives in the uh, Florida Treasure Coast area. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I hope he finds some treasure. Who else have we heard from? By the way, Arch is not making these up. These are actual legitimate emails. But soon on this program, we will bring back uh, Ask Arch. Oh, we have and to. Those are illegitimate letters. <laughs> Jeremiah Devlin Rule wrote in. I like the 70s for movies. And, uh, oh, oh, he saw me because I appeared on a panel at the AFI. Well, that's right. Because the last minute, uh, Chuck Todd was supposed to discuss Network with several other people, the movie from sure. 1976. He didn't show up. <laughs> so, Chuck stiffed they, him out. They, Chuck stiffed him. <laughs> they sent him to New York because of the candidates for him. So uh, I set in for him, and that's about as close as I'll ever get to being Chuck Todd. But uh, <laughs> seeing Network again is just that oh, we could man. do a, another whole. Uh, oh, that's, a, that's such a classic. Anyway, I think we're wrapping up our podcast, Lou. It's always great talking always to you. Always fun. And I would like to honor our connection to radio today. So if it's all right with you, I'd like to end with a 1979 song that you may remember. Charlie Doerr. Oh, Pilot of the Airway. It's the story of a listener who bonds with a late night DJ the way you and I would when we listen to radio late at night. So uh, we salute the pilots of the airwaves and their uh, past achievements. Thank you so much for joining us. Pilot of the Airwaves, here is my request. You don't have to play it, but I hope you'll do your best. I've been listening to your show on the radio, and you seem like a friend to me. Chasing sleep People say I 
You don't have to play it, but I hope you'll do your best. I've been listening to your show on the radio, and you seem like a friend to me. At the Movies with Arch Campbell and Lou Katz and a cast of thousands comes to you by way of the Katz podcasting system. Katz, America's first name in Broadway musicals, delicatessens, and podcasting. This is the Katz podcasting system.